All right, welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. Take two. Fortunately, we only we only lost a couple minutes the first time. A little internet connectivity issue on my part, but much apologies. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to the good stuff. I'm Chad Brendel, joined by Justin Williams of The Athletic. Hi, Justin. Welcome back. Hi, Chad. How are you? I'm good. And our special guest today, none other than Marcus Freeman, Cincinnati defensive coordinator and uh, coach. Welcome into the podcast. And uh, how's your sanity holding up with uh, with the wife and six kids? <laughs> uh, she's in the other room, so I won't say really what I'm what I'm really feeling. But um, <laughs> no, it's been great. It's been great to spend time with family. Uh, I've missed you guys, man. I haven't seen you in a while. Um, it's good to see some familiar faces back here, even if it's on Zoom. But uh, um, it's good to be back. You know, obviously in the presence of you guys and talking a little ball, Coach. Um, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there, there's there's tentative plans for return. It looks like. Things are uh, trending in the right direction. How is that for you to finally feel like you might be getting back to some normalcy? You might be getting back to um, being on campus with the guys and, and being around that culture that you guys have created that you love so much. Oh, it's exciting, man, to just get back together. And, and we're all looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, which, which ultimately is a football season, you know, and, and I think we've got the kind of, I, I won't say it's 100 percent, but it's as close as it's going to be to make sure you know that we're going to have a season. And, and that's what you want to make sure we have is that we can get back to work and, and have this football season and give these young men a chance to go out there and play the game they love and for us to coach the game we love. And uh, I, I can feel it coming back. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm excited. So you you're notorious for you came up with the 4-4 to stop Navy, you came up with the 3-3-5 to slow down Central Florida. What ten weeks, eleven weeks off we're at now? What what have you been in the lab cooking up? I know you're probably not going to tell us because you don't want to give it away, but uh, you had to have had some time to 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 get onto the the, the drawing board and and cook up some more fun stuff, right? No doubt, no doubt. You know, well, you look at the strength of our team, and I think you look at we have a lot of veteran DBs coming back. You got a lot of veteran D linemen coming back. We lost two seniors at linebacker, so. Maybe it could be a 4-1-6 package or, you know, I'm telling you what, it depends on who we play, but having 10, this is going on week 11 of, of being at home in quarantine. You got a lot of uh, opportunities to watch film, to watch some NFL film, watch some different college film and, and try to come up with some different ideas, man. And if it works, I'll let you know it's the COVID-19 defensive plan. If it doesn't, you won't know. I won't tell you. All right. The 4-1-6 the sounds like a lot of fun. I tell you what, you get you get if you got good four D linemen and you got six good DBs, don't make it too hard. Put the best players on the field and go. Is there is there anything as much as you guys hate having to deal with all this stuff virtually and not being with the team? Is there anything you've done that you feel like has helped or is maybe a little bit better or something you're going to continue into the future because you've been forced into it? Well, I, I think. You know, with us not being on the road recruiting for five weeks, that our players mentally are going to be way far ahead of where they would have been if we were on the road for five weeks. I think mentally our guys at each position defensively are are, are really, really at the top of the game mentally. And uh, I'm excited to see them go out there and do it. Now, physically is a totally different thing. You know, what you lack, what you gain mentally, you lost a little bit physically. And um, I'm excited to see, you know, with this extra meeting time, um, what, what they're able to do. But again, I think for us as, as adults and maybe as professionals, you realize there is a lot of stuff you can get done from home. Um, with technology nowadays, you know, I think moving forward, sometimes if the players are at home or on break, 
I can see Coach Pickle saying, hey, take this week, work from home, and we can get a lot of work done. We've been meeting a, a whole bunch of uh, a defensive staff as a full staff, and we've been getting a tremendous amount of work done. The only thing you ain't been able to do is be in the presence of each other and be around your guys. And, and that's obviously a huge, huge part of, of, of helping your young people grow. Um, so um, that part is, is, is part you miss, but I think we've been very, very efficient, had a really, really good routine, um, and, and been able to meet and to get a lot of stuff accomplished since we've been at home. All right, this is a two-part question. Who's been the best equipped coaching staffer for, for all this virtual Zoom stuff, and who's been the worst? Oh, that's, that's easy. That's easy. Well, Mace is the youngest defensive coach, and um, I know he's a special teams coordinator. He's extremely smart. My, my wife was asking me yesterday on the walk, well, it was yesterday or the day before, like, how smart is Mace? It, it's hard to describe. Brian Mace is <laughs> extremely intelligent. He's the one that kind of put the whole Zoom thing together. He's got, what, no like 14 degrees? I mean, something like that. Yeah, I mean, something like that. And he could have a tremendous amount of more, you know. But he kind of walked everybody through this whole Zoom thing. Like, I think – I can't remember. Justin, you might have been the first one to tell me about this whole thing called Zoom. I remember being in Dayton and you said something. I remember I call, hung up with you and I called Mace and I'm like, Mace, what is this Zoom thing? Oh, let's try it. Download it and we end up doing it. And then from there to now, it's been crazy. And he's kind of walked all the coaches through it uh, and – you know, I love Tanutes, um, but <laughs> he's probably the one that might be a little bit behind, you know, using technology. I don't, I don't know about the offensive guy. I don't know about the offensive guys. We don't meet with them unless it's a full staff, and nobody talks about taking the full staff a lot of times anyway. But in our defensive staff meetings, probably Tanute, but he's come a long way. He's, he used to be in the camera like this, and you couldn't see him the whole way. <laughs> now we're getting to understand where you can sit and not take over the whole screen. But um, we've been able to get work done. That's all that matters. That's the answer I was looking for. Do it on Zoom. I mean, was, it's got to just be F-bomb after F-bomb, I would imagine. Yeah, you can see the frustration sometimes. We had So we had the Zoom coaches clinic uh, the past two weeks. Or no, it was the past week. It was like a week ago. And it was funny. Tenuta and Coach Enos went the same day. Well, Enos went first. Tenuta was supposed to go second. Most time, you just wait till the person's done. Okay, then you get on and you do your job, your, your Zoom clinic. Well, the entire time Tanuta is on why Enos is going. But he starts clicking stuff, and he ends up, like, he's looking at the screen while Enos is talking, and, and it was unbelievable. And I'm texting Mace, like, is anybody else seeing Tanuta other than me? No, everybody's seeing Tanuta. He's screaming. He's yelling at somebody. I don't know. But it was a beautiful. It was typical Tanuta fashion, man. It was typical Tanuta. He seems like he would be the type that maybe, like, his wife is, like, literally, like, one frame off screen. Trying to like no. help him, no doubt. Tell He's talking to somebody, on. and I and I and I'm pretty sure it's his wife or maybe one of his kids. But um, he's definitely got somebody there to make sure that he's <laughs> on point, man. <laughs> Coach, you mentioned the, the the abundance of talent at defensive line. Have those guys hit you up like Coach that three three five? Come on, man. Yeah, they, I think we got to get four back on the field. Come on, Coach. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they you know, which I love. I love the aggressiveness and the, the, the hunger to want to to be on the field and not come off. I think they understand it. You look back at last year, we played anywhere from six to eight D linemen every game, you know. Yeah. And I think what they understand is that, holy cow, I'm playing at that much higher of a level when there's – when I'm playing 30 to 50 plays, right, or 30 right around 40 plays than if I do if I have 
like Cortez and Cope did the year before, playing averaging 70 plays a game. Like, we don't have guys that can do that and sustain the high level that we're looking for. And I think they understand and they bought into it. You know, they bought into, okay, we have one A's and one B's. We're going to rotate guys. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's not fun getting double teamed at times in the pass rush. And we got to do a good job of making sure we find different ways to get them one-on-one. -on -one. But you can see the guys have bought into it. We really had to sell it to them last year, right? But then once you sell something, you give them evidence and you show them the success you have, you know, with, with, with team success comes individual success, right? The year before, we, we did really good. It was our first year getting 11 wins. We had really good defense. We had, I think, maybe one or two first-team all – maybe Perry was the only first-team all-league defensive guy. I can't remember. I think one or two. But this year, we, we continue and have that sustained success, right? And we have five first-team all-league defensive linemen. Guys, it ain't because you're that much better. I promise you it's not. But with sustained success – you know, comes those individual accolades. And, and that's what we're telling recruits. That's what we're telling our players, that you continue to be unselfish. You continue to play the way that we're asking for. You continue to have success as a team. You will watch your individual success go up. And uh, I think those guys are buying into it. At this time last year, the defensive line was the question that we didn't know with, with Cope and, and Broughton and Kamani Fitz, who I, kind of gets forgotten in that discussion, but had a really good senior year. This year, it's linebacker and you lose two out of your three guys. It was three out of the four guys on the defensive line. I know you guys were confident about the defensive line coming in into last year, and we see how it played out. How's the confidence level in that linebacker room uh, as we come into a year where a lot of guys are going to be asked to, to step it up and, and play a much bigger role than they're used to? Uh, and then, obviously, you've got Jarrell still around because he just won't go away. <laughs> no doubt, man. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you this. Yeah, whoever's coaching those linebackers has a lot of pressure on him this year. He better make sure. That he does <laughs> That's a good not job. very good. I've heard. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so he better develop those guys and make sure that the production. We have two first-team all-leaders last year, and um, that's going to be the same expectations. Uh, you know, I, I had a long conversation with Coach Pick about this about two or three weeks ago, and understanding that in order to make up for the production that we lost with Perry, you lose with B. Right, and it's not going to happen with two guys. We know that, we understand that, but it's gonna get, it's gonna happen with getting four guys to me or five guys to play above their God-given ability. You know, there, there's certain guy, a God-given the talents you have. We have to, I have to do a great job to get those guys to play above their talent, you know? And then you talk about the Joel DeBlancos, you talk about the Brody Ingles, the Darian Beavers, the Wilson Hubers, you know, the, the Steve Hawkins, the Mick Oaks, those guys that, um, that have been here that are going to get a chance to get on the field. And you got a couple freshmen coming in that, you know, those guys are hungry, man. Um, we're not allowed to technically meet with those guys, but if they're looking at something and, you know, some handouts that they can call and ask questions, I tell you what, I've had three freshmen call me almost every day asking questions about our defense. And the reason is, is they want to get a, an edge as they come into uh, the summer and fall camp. So I think we have the talent. We have the numbers. Now it's my job to get those guys to play above their God-given abilities. And, and you know me, I'm looking forward to a challenge, you know. So uh, I'm excited, excited for this group. It's a really good group. I tell you, I lost a lot of – I've gained a lot of gray here in two years with with D Wright in particular, you know. Um, <laughs> Perry's given me some gray hairs. But I'll tell you what, our meetings now are unbelievable. I got a whole bunch of smart guys that, that do exactly what you say. They don't have to talk a lot of mess back to you. You know, it's been really good. So – now I got to get those guys to play well. B. Wright was just a fan of good conversation. Oh, B. 
you're right. I love the kid. I mean, it is a, a love-hate relationship. You know, but it's <laughs> awesome. He, he's the same guy that he calls you the, the minute he gets picked up by the Chiefs crying. He just thanks you for being like a father. I mean, you know, that's the big thing. It's like in the locker room, I'm like, hey, I get it. Outside of here, we all have daddies. You know, I pulled a Denzel Washington in the Everybody's got a mama and a dad. And inside this wall, you know who your daddy is, right? <laughs> Everybody knows that. And it's so funny because they'd be right, no, you ain't my daddy. No, you ain't my daddy. Well, then he calls me, you know, right after he gets picked up by the Chiefs and, you know, he's crying. He's like, man, you're, you're like a father figure. You're the only father I had. I'm like, you know, that's why you do it. You know, you get a guy like Cam Jeffries uh, a week ago, a guy that I told Coach Mick, because I called Coach Mick the other day, and I said, I would have thought Cam Jeffries would have just been so upset with me you know, and been pissed at me being a guy that started as a junior, started this, the, the first early part of the senior year, you know, gets replaced by uh, Ahmad, uh, Ahmad Gardner, Sauce, and, and you know, pro- I would think he had some bitterness towards me being a defense coordinator, but he texts me and just had some great things to say, and it's just a great reminder, as longer you do this. I remember texting Coach Fickle one day, you know, when I was coaching at Purdue and, you know, thanking him for what he did for me as a player and as a young coach. I never remember, forget his response. That's why we do it, to get those text messages, to get those people reaching out and saying thank you. And as I get older in the profession and have some of those older guys reaching back, it's a great reminder of why you do what you do. Real quick, was that official? You've stolen Stephen Hawthorne from the defensive line? Um, I would say temporary barring him. You know, I'm going to borrow <laughs> him for a while. Uh, I mean, again, he's, you know, I like to experiment. You know, obviously Huber, obviously B. Wright, Malik Clemens. I love to experiment. I love to project and identify, look at a guy's talent. And uh, I tell you what, Steve has some ability that I think can translate into what we're doing in our dollar package. I'd say when you start asking other position coaches about a guy, they probably get real, real protective and defensive all of a sudden, right? <laughs> I really don't ask. I kind of just tell them, you know, I make my own observations and assumptions and I say, hey, I'm going to take him for a little bit. I'll send him back to you when I'm done with him. But uh, let me experiment with some things with him. And, uh, yeah, you got lucky. got a chance. You got lucky on Pierce when you tried that because he didn't really have a position coach at that time. Yeah, exactly. And he, yeah, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have the one to. Pierce, you, Pierce was a little bit like half in. Like, he kind of came over and, like, you could just tell he didn't really want to be good because he could. Let's, let's not be stupid. Alex Pierce to be a hell of a sniper, a hell of a DC player. <laughs> He's got all the ability. But he kind of knew, like, if I go over there during bowl practice and I do a crappy job, they'll send me right back over to office. And he did. <laughs> he did. It. it was okay. And then we sent him back to office. He had a great year in the wideout. But he's smart. See, that's a guy that's smart, right? The other guys that probably aren't as smart as Pierce come and say, oh, man, I'm going to come and try to impress. I'm going to do a great job. And now some of you stuck playing linebacker. You're stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's. That's Will Huber. Like, Chad's talked a bunch about him. I've written about him. He's the most interesting guy to me this year because with who you've lost, you're probably going to need him. But at, at what point did you think, hey, let's try this? And, and at what point do you as a coach realize, yeah, this, this, guy, this guy's got it? Because you could just see even in bowl practice how much he flashed when he was out there. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it was about one and a half practice with Will that – I said, okay, he, he's, yeah, he's, he's one, he's extremely intelligent, you know, and there's no substitute for being intelligent. And so I knew he could get it down, but just to watch him a little bit of natural instincts, like there was times we would throw him in at the end of bowl practice and I wouldn't tell him what to do, just go play ball, go play football. And that's the best thing sometimes for guys to just go be aggressive. And he flashed, 
After the first, I was like, ah, maybe it's a fluke. You know, then at the halfway through the second round, I was like, yeah, I think he's going to stay here. I think he's going to just stay in this room. So um, he's been a pleasure, pleasure to have. Man. How much does, like, you know, that flashing thing, because that was always the thing with B-Right to me, is you, you would see him, he would jump out and do something. Now, obviously, it's more important that some guys are not flashing by doing their job. So how do you balance, like, a guy who makes those flash plays but is also – sticking in two of the assignments and filling his gaps and stuff like that. What's the balance there? Yeah, I mean, and it's hard because when you come in, you know, you want to train them almost to be a robot. And that's the, like the thing you don't want to say, I don't want you to be a robot, but you have to train them to be a robot and kind of do things exactly how you want to do it. Step with your right foot, step with your left foot, see this guy, your eyes go here, and you train them very systematically. You know, we train them very systematically. I want everybody to say the same thing. I want everybody to do the same thing. Then as you understand what we're looking for in our scheme, now you go. And that's, to me, what makes the good players just separated from the great players, you know, and the, and the, and the good ones separated from the average players, that the guys that, can able, that are able to understand where they fit the scheme but be aggressive and make it their own are the ones that stuff. You're Jarrell White, right? He, he is a freelancer at times but he understands how he fits in the scheme, you know? And you look at the difference between Jarrell White and Beavers. Beavers last year was just trying to be perfect. He was trying to do exactly what we asked him to do, where Jarrell knew what to do. Now he can go make plays. B. White has never given, given two craps about what we say. So that's what made him successful. He understood the scheme, and he just went out and just did what B. Wright did. You know, he was aggressive. Perry's another guy that can understand how he fits. He's smart and then become a football player. What I don't want to make you is a robot for your entire career. I want to train you when you first get here because a lot of kids in high school, it's C-ball, get ball, right? You know, very few understand a scheme, a system. You know, Brody Ingles one that did, right? He came from a great, a, a, a great system, a great program in LaSalle High School, and he understood defensive football, you know, and how he fit. And I think that gave him a chance to play for us last year. But a lot of kids are just C-ball, get ball, you know, in high school. And now we got to get them to understand how they fit the scheme once they understand that, go, go, go play ball, man, and and do what you have. Your guy, use your God-given ability with us. You mentioned uh, coaching that linebacker group. You you have another longtime linebackers coach on staff and Fickle. How how much are you leaning on him, and maybe how much is he uh, offering his advice, even unsolicited? Well, I think we've grown a lot in the four. You're going into four years now. Um, you know, I think at first he was. It, it, it was what was natural for him. And we've had such a great relationship going on 17, 18 years now. And um, he felt comfortable. He didn't feel like he was stepping on anybody's toes. So he spent a lot of time with us, you know. And now I think over the course of those next two years, he's kind of gotten away. Um, but I lean on, you know, I lean on. I think what I tell our players, same thing I tell myself, is that great players, great coaches want to be coached, right? I want to be told different ways to improve. And so I lean on Coach Vic to, to hey, I want you to watch this and tell me what you see. You know, I'll send them some individual film. You know, I had some of the backers, you know, do an individual uh, during a couple of weeks ago, and they recorded it and they sent it to me. And I looked at it. I gave my evaluation. I sent it to Fix and said, look at this. Tell me some different things you see, you know. And, and I lean on him to help me. Maybe he gives me a different point of view, a different eye, you know. So I think you've got to find that person you like that you trust. You know, obviously Coach Fickle being a guy that has helped me grow to where I am today. But – um, I, I'm always looking to improve, you know, and, and sometimes it takes an, a different eye to, to give me those pointers and help me get better. 
let's talk recruiting for a bit. Obviously, you're not allowed to talk about kids that, that haven't signed. Uh, but let's talk philosophy <clears throat> in that you are a guy that loves recruiting defensive backs. You'd take all of them. You would have a 25-man defensive back class if you could. Uh, what is that? Is it just because at that age their bodies are still so much in a development mode that they can be – a lot of them can be, you know, many different things, outside linebacker, a sniper, a safety, a corner. Ahmad was only going to be a corner um, because he's 104 pounds. But <laughs> what is that philosophy when you see – defensive backs and and you have the ability to say this guy I think we can see him in these different places this guy we can see him in these different places and then you let him come in and figure it out yeah well there's no substitute for athleticism you know and I think obviously playing defensive back at the high school uh, level um, you're going to be athletic you know and that's something I like to see then you look from okay okay he's athletic is he physical you know is he willing to come down and hit is this a guy, look at his body, that can grow into a different position? You know, a lot of uh, linebackers don't play linebacker in high school. And that's the biggest thing that I think you have to do at the college level is be able to object and identify. you got to be able to look at a young man's skill set and look at what he does and say, can you see him at a different position, right? We, I mean, I, I wish I could go through some of the guys that recruit me now and just tell you, hey, man, this is a guy that I see could possibly play linebacker. He's not playing linebacker on film. You know, but I see the skill set that he has, you know. The, the biggest thing, let's, let's make sure we're all on the same page defensively. As a program, the number one thing we're looking for when we, when we bring in talent to our team is, is competitive. You know, we're going to – and sometimes you can see it on film. Sometimes you can't, right? So you better call the coach. You better call the, the opposing coach and say, is this dude competitive? Is he tough? Is he a leader? Is he unselfish? All those things matter. You know, I think – you can find athleticism, but the difference that will separate the athletic guys from the elite guys are the guys that are unbelievable competitive. And that's what I challenge our D staff to do every time we talk about recruits is make sure you tell me how tough, how, how tough he is. You know, I want to know how competitive and how tough he is. You know, hey, I like this film, but I can like a lot of people's five-minute highlight. Be able to stand on the table for his toughness and his, and his leadership and his and his competitiveness and I think that's been the majority of our discussion and even in this recruiting cycle is that hey hey coach we watch this film I watch it it's good now tell me what I really want to know tell me what his high school coach says about it. tell me is he really really that competitive and is he going to be able to thrive because our, our I think what has happened with our defense is that we've created this brand right this brand of people use the term culture we like to call it the black cat brand and it's a level of the it's, it's a level of, of the way you play. It's a standard, right? In that you're going to play with unbelievable effort and attitude. You're going to be able to challenge each other. You're going to challenge coaches. We're going to challenge players. You're going to challenge each other. Um, and, and then we're going to be unselfish and be unit strength. And, and those are things that we look for. But um, are they going to fit into our brand? That's the biggest thing that we look for. Are these guys that we're going to bring into our program going to fit into the Black Cap brand? Because our players now control it. Right, that's the best part about it. When they first got there, I used to be the one in front of the room. Hey, this is the black cat brand. This is standard. You got to practice and play this. Game. Now, all of a sudden, I sit back because the older guys that have helped elevate our defense to this point are the ones now saying, hey, if you're not playing like this, you're not going to play in our defense. I'm good. I sit back there and say, you guys got it. Because that's when special things happen, man, is that you got your players controlling um, you know, the, the standard. I, I'm fascinated to hear this, this story from your perspective. Ahmad Gardner, I, 
I don't know if there's been maybe the, the last guy that, that flashed like he did that early, that unexpectedly was probably Mick was Mike Mickens. Um, where did this come from? Like what did you, when did you start to really see it? I mean, I know obviously you guys were high on him when, when you recruited him, but then Justin Harris was the guy with the accolades was the, the top rated guy in the class. Um, when did you start to see it? And then when did it become evident? Look, this guy's not only good, but he's a lockdown boundary, like elite type corner that we, we really need on the field as much as humanly possible. Uh, uh, again, you know, I think back to when he was recruited. Um, I remember seeing him live, you know, as you see the length, you see the long body, um, did I think he was going to be as good as he is this early? No. You know, I, I, you saw flashes even at fall camp. Like, the only person that thought that was him. Yeah, no doubt. And, 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 and that's probably why that he's that successful this early. Because he has that competitiveness, that confidence, that, God, I hate talking good about Mick, but Mick has it, right? Mike <laughs> Mick has it, right? He's always had it. And I hate saying good things about it. I love it. I mean, I know with high school, together, but. Mick has always been that way. It's something about the elite corners. Malcolm Jenkins, I played with Malcolm Jenkins at Ohio State. He had it, right? That competitiveness and that confidence in yourself that some people might call it arrogance, but I, I think it's confidence. And it, you know, you can beat me one play, but you're not going to beat me twice. And I'm going to keep challenging you. And this play, this one play is not going to affect another, you know? And that's what you see um, in Ahmad. And, you know, you saw it in fall camp. Again, he's a guy that will challenge whoever. He might get beat, came back the next play, I'm good. He has that personality that just is attracting to anybody. Um, you love being around him. So then we start sprinkling him in a little bit, he would make a play. Sprinkle him in a little bit more and make a play. Obviously, everybody sees a UCF game. He takes the pick back to the house, game changer for He was really play. good that game before that pick. Exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, people don't understand that the game before that, he did some extremely good things, right? He did some extremely good teams where Mick was starting to say, hey, I think we need to play the freshman a little bit more. Good, let's play him a little bit more. We're rolling. UCF's going to go fast. We need to keep fresh guys in. But then it's the course of the year. I remember we played at South Florida. Okay? He gets beat first series on a double move. Okay? Yep. The same call defensively that we called versus UCF that he picked the ball for a touchdown. And I'll never forget walking over to the sidelines. I'm like, I need to pump him up. And, tell him. and I said, I looked at him. I said, if they do that play again, I want you to do the exact same thing, and I want you to pick it off. And he didn't need that. Some guys need that. He, he just looked at me like, Coach, I know I'm good. I'm like, I'm good, man. That dude's going to be special because he has it here, man. He has that competitor, that mental toughness, um, that, that short-term memory. He's always focused on what he needs to do, and, and again, he works at it, man. That room is, is, a, is an extremely, extremely special room. I think Kobe Bryant has done a great job of leading those guys and making them work, making them tough, making them accountable to each other. Um, that's, a, that's an extra, extremely talented room that I'm excited to see this year. Especially with Ahmad and Kobe. What What was your reaction the first time he asked you to call him Sauce? Ooh, ooh, I said you got to earn that now. I said I ain't calling <laughs> nobody around here a nickname until you earn it. Well, I never get after that UCF game. I said hmm, I'm gonna call you Sauce from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm gonna call you Sauce from now on. And then obviously ECU, he takes another one to the house. I said, okay, you've earned that nickname, buddy. you know. So, um, but what a great kid, man! What a great. Like, Again, you want to be around people that give you energy. You want to be around people that make you laugh. And he is one of those kids who has that personality. 
So part of the reason you needed him to step up so much last year is because you guys lost Wiggins like what, four days before the season started. I know Chad's in the same way. Anytime I've talked to him, I've tried to tell him like it was the equivalent of losing Mike Warren on offense. Like he was, he was what made you guys go. And I don't know how he compares to someone, you know, like sauce in terms of that competitive thing, but everything I've taken away from Wiggins when I talk to him is he seems like a football savant, like the way he reads coverages, reads plays, remembers plays. What is his, what is he like as a football mind and how he mixes that with obviously his ridiculous athleticism? So, so Wig and, and Sauce, I would say, are two different type of football players. Sauce is long. Um, he's athletic, but he ain't freaky. You know, Sauce is just long, and he's an ultimate competitor, whereas Wig is a freak athlete. You know, he's able to – and he's smart. You know, he's able to see things and decipher through them, but, but Wig is a freak athlete. He can make his body do things that a lot of people just want to do. Right, he makes his body do it. He's able to pick those balls off and make those game-changing plays. But um, what a huge blow! Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's probably not as vocal leadership as it is as the confidence you have knowing you have James Wiggins on the field. He's the probably the number one reason why we ended up going to more of a three-three-five for the rest of the year after UCF. You know, obviously we had a plan to use some of that versus UCF, but he's probably the reason why because. You just don't have another James Wiggins to do the things we asked him to do. You know, it's not easy to play 10 yards off a guy man to man, and, and, and he doesn't. You know, he can do it. He picks balls off. He tries to throw it his way. So um, it, I'm extremely happy to have him back. I'll tell you what, you know, I'm extremely happy to have him back. I think you can be creative. Chad, you asked earlier about, you know, hey, what are the things you guys are coming up with in these 10 weeks? Well, we got James Wiggins back. There's a lot of stuff we can be creative and do, you know, that maybe we couldn't do last year. So, um, I'm excited, man. I, I tell you what, he, it's a confidence builder for our team, for our coaching staff to have him out on the field. And uh, I'm excited to see him out there again. That creativity to, to move stuff around and do different things, whether it's specific to an opponent or just based on the personnel that you guys have, is that – have you always had that creativity, that, that mindset? Where does that come from? Because a lot of coaches are system guys and, you know, I fit guys into this system and run it, and you, you've certainly never been like that at UC. Yeah, I've always been a one, number one, understanding your talent. And I think that might be the Jim Trestle effect that he had on me and that, hey, it's not about what you know as a coach, but it's about what you can get your players to do, right? So I've always been about understanding your talent, you know, and then I like to be one step ahead. You know, I do. And, I, and, and the great thing I have is a guy that puts, has checks and bounces on me, right? Fix the best one to be able to say, whoa, 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 hold on, guys. Let's, let's, let's not outthink ourselves. Because I can get to the point where I do that. I, I can get to the point where I just want to outthink the other guy and, and be so creative that it's unpredictable. And, and there still has to be a system. Your guys still have to be able to play fast and understand the intricacies of your defense, you know. And um, I think it's a great – Mixed, a great blend. Uh, but I think if you just say, this is what I do and this is what we're going to do, you'll get caught up and you'll get passed by. The best, to me, the best coaches, the best uh, businesses, the best, you know, minds are the ones that always try to think two steps ahead. You know, don't think about what's going on now. Think what can we change or what can I innovate here two steps ahead? You know, and that's what we've been able to try to do, you know, and the whole dollar package is, is, okay, RPO, 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 they're looking for space. How do we take away space? Put another TV on the field. You know, what can we do with this overhanging safety? And all those different things, I know I'm getting more 
schematic stuff, but it's always trying to be innovative, always trying to think two steps ahead, which isn't always great. You know what I mean? You're going to have to fail, you know, and sometimes those failures have the greatest impact on your future, right? We thought going into Navy our first year, we had a good plan. Let's, let's not, I mean, people think that, you know, we just came up with this plan. Oh, yeah, we knew it's going to stink. No, we thought we were going to go in there and shut them down. And they ran for over five, 600 yards on us, and we said, okay, that plan stunk. But I think that is what made us kind of say, okay, think two more steps ahead. How do we get better? How do we, you know, and it probably was more so studying the offense from the offensive point of view than it was defensively. Really, it was. You know, we spent a lot of time, you know, studying what do offenses think for triple option. You know, same thing with this RPO. How do offenses think? Because to me, if you can figure out what they're thinking, now you can try to find out ways to, to obviously stop them or, or hurt them. You mentioned that Navy, that game your first year. How much of your first year was like that? How difficult was that for you? Was, was there any point you said, Fick, what did we get ourselves into? Like, did it, was it maybe a, at points did you think we might have bitten off more than we can chew with this thing with how far we've got to go? It turns out it, it wasn't that far, but mm-hmm. – I mean, that was almost a 1-11 in 11 team. Yeah. And for you guys, you've won your whole life. Like, how difficult was that? Ooh, it was humbling, 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 humbling. You know, and, and I came from Purdue where we struggled. We won nine games yeah. in four years. But we also lost to a Cincinnati team my last year where I'm like, okay, I'm going to join the team that just beat us, all right? We're, they got <laughs> talent. And then we did. We had talent. Um, we were poor coaches, and they didn't play well. I mean, it's, it's, it's everybody. It starts with us. We, we, we try to come with this system and say, hey, we're going to do this on defense. You know, let's fit these guys in here. Halfway through the year, we're like, okay, this isn't working. You know, this isn't working with the guys that we have. You know, and we kind of try to change some things. We played a little bit better, but obviously it wasn't good enough. Um, and so it was very humbling. Um, I remember the UCF game. I'll never forget I watched the game by myself in my office after the game. We had a big lightning delay to cancel the game. I'm in my office watching the game, um, just wanted to puke. And then Coach Fick, after I'm done, like, this has got to be 1.30. Coach Fick walks in my office, okay, let's watch this game together. I'm like, again? You know, so I go no. to his office. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. And just me and him were there. I think Doug Rossville was there, but us three, we just, we watched the entire game again. So it's 4 o'clock, we're driving home, and I remember just thinking, like, this has to be as bad as it gets. It has to be as bad as it gets. It got even worse. It got even worse, <laughs> man. Um, but, again, I something tells me that those moments, those failures are why we're where we are now. You know, something that just it, – it just – I believe it in my heart that you have to fail in order to be a success, you know, and, and – um, those failures obviously taught us a lot. They taught us a whole bunch. And, uh, you know, we want to keep this thing on the other side of it now. Jeff? You, that Navy game's a good example, coming back in, uh, I guess, 2018 and just completely flipping it. And I, I felt like the UCF game, when you guys went down there and lost on, on game day and then kind of came back and, you know, had different things in mind for them. I know you guys are competitive. How seriously do you – do those losses hurt? And is that what you kind of take to heart when you're thinking of new things you can do? Or, or, or are you always doing that with every game and it just feels a little sweeter after, after the game? Uh, we usually pick one or two games a year that 
we say, hey, let's get ready for this one. You know, we're going to, we always do it in the summer. You know, I know we sit there and we say, what is the game or two that we have to win? You know, obviously going into two years ago, 2018 was maybe, it was, hey, maybe's the game that we have to make sure that we have a better plan. Let's, let's research it. Let's figure out what we want to do in the summer. UCF was last year. Um, we'll figure out here, or I'll tell you maybe in the future what this year's summer plan will be. But uh, um, We might yeah, be able to get that. <laughs> Which one would you think? Memphis. Memphis? It's a good guess. Really good guess. I'm not going to say this right or wrong, but that's a really good guess. But, um, you know, obviously UCF being, I mean, again, it was the, they, I don't think it was the plan that was really bad. I think it's the way we, the position maybe we put our players into. I know I don't, I don't, I don't want to double talk myself, but we had a decent plan. It's just maybe we didn't have the guys to do exactly what we thought they, they needed to do. And which is, I guess, goes back to it probably wasn't a good plan. You're asking guys who thinks they can't do it. But um, <laughs> I think that's what we looked at 2018 going to 2019. Hey, let's, with these guys, how can we change up? Um, and try to combat what UCF does. So, uh, again, it's all the air raid, the RPOs, different things like that um, that, that you look into. But, um, yeah, we're going one or two. I'm curious about UCF because everybody talks about the three three five, But I think maybe that wasn't the biggest change you guys made in that game. What seemed to stand out to me the most was how fast you were rotating corners so that in that speed that they were trying to run – they never wore your defensive backs down. How important was that? It wasn't just the change to the three-three-five, but also it was also that philosophy change that really fueled you guys in that game. Yeah, that I think it. Yes, it it mattered at the corner position, but it, you, you look at all three levels between the D line linebackers and DBs that we rotated a lot of guys, and I really believe like you can look on film late in the third, fourth quarter, we wore them out. Our our D line with three guys we're able to get after the quarterback and we're able to wear the, the O-line out. And I think that's what you've got to be able to do. And, and that's what we sell to our guys is we're going to roll. We're going to have one A's and one B's. If you're a two, you're probably not going to play unless somebody goes down. But if you're a one A or a one B, you're going to play. You're going to play a significant amount. And, um, and our guys bought into it. And when you show them clips, like you show them evidence of wearing them out and you show your corners evidence of, hey, their guys aren't running in the third quarter as fast as they're running in the first quarter because they're getting a little bit tired of playing 90 plays. Look at our guys because we're rolling them. Look how fresh you are. I think they start to say, okay, I understand. And that's what we say. Hey, the NFL's not going to study. They're going to study the plays you're in, right? They're not going to count. Say, okay, he played 30 plays this game. He played 80 plays that game. You know, they're going to study the plays you play. Well, if you're playing 30 to 50 plays and they're all really, really good, that's going to be more to them than you playing 80 plays and 30 plays are bad. And so our players, I think, are buying into that and understanding that, hey, we want to make sure we're playing it. We're, we're us as coaches are demanding you play at such a high level that you're only going to be able to do it 50 plays max, you know, and, and um, we want to make sure that our guys can roll, man. And then you got so many good players now, man. you got to keep those guys, uh, not want to say happy, but involved. Right, we we we've recruited a high level. We have some really good players that can step in. They might not be one of the first eleven, but they might be part of the best twenty-two. But we got to get those guys involved in the game, and we got to keep them playing. You know, they come here to play, and not to sit on the bench. And, and that's another reason why we try to roll these guys. 
Okay. I feel like, Chad, that's something you and I talked about when you were on the radio one day, that to me the biggest, you know, example or, or sign of the progress you guys have made under Fickle at UC is the depth. And, yeah, there's been some guys who have stood out and been big-time players and, and the wins look good. But going into a season and knowing, like, there's legitimately 20 guys on either side of the ball who could be starters, that seems like that's the, the recruiting showing up, the development showing up, that all the things that you guys have been preaching and, and working towards. Have you have you noticed that and felt that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. We recruited a high level and we'll continue to do it. And and it's because that's to me what great programs are created, right? It's not just, hey, we got a good starter. It's the depth. You know, it's the depth. I was reading an article that Tom Herman did the other day. Um, I can't remember what, but maybe the athletic or something. But um, – he was just talking about how a couple of their starters at Texas, you know, went down and, and he was ashamed of the guys that went in, couldn't do what they're asking to do, you know? And that's what, to me, great programs come from having depth, which come from recruiting, which come from development. And, and that's another thing we're selling is that, Hey man, you're going to be going against guys in practice every day that are dudes. They're, they're dudes. And if you don't bring your A game to practice, well, you're going to get exposed. Well, the competitors going to bring their A game to practice when they're going against great competitors. That's just going to make everybody better so that when your time to get ready for NFL, your time to get your number called, you're going to be at the highest level you can be because the dudes you're going against in practice are making you that much better. And we're selling that recruiting, man. That, you know, hey, I'm telling you, you're going to go against NFL dudes every day in practice. And uh, I think that's why we're continuing to have success. And I think we continue well with, with the young guys and the, 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 the recruits that are coming into our program. Where did the 1A, 1B philosophy come from? Because that wasn't here the first two years. Was was that going into last year, the realization that we've got the depth finally? Um, it. It, okay. Yeah. We didn't have it. We, didn't, we, we had barely once going our first year and, and <laughs> even a second year. Like, we, if somebody went down. A lot, oh a lot of 1Bs that first year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Playing as 1As. That's the scary part, you know. And um, – <laughs> Again, not to knock what was no. here, but that's just the reality of it, man. And, and even 2018, we had some 1As, but we didn't have many 1Bs, you know. And I think um, that's what we, we looked at, as a, looked at the depth, looked at our roster and said, man, we got dudes going in 2019. We got some dudes that might not be starting, okay, that got to play for us because they can play. They're good football players. And so that's when we kind of came up with this 1A, 1B to give some incentive to our guys. Like, look, man, we got two guys here. I don't know who the 1A is going to be. Whoever has the best week of practice. And we really did it that way. I mean, we were rolling defense alignment saying, hey, the guys that will start, the guys that have the best week of practice, well, everybody wants to start. And you want to be – as a coach, sometimes you tell them, hey, hey, guy, the only thing that matters is the guy that's going to be out there the first play. Like, that, that's, the rest of it doesn't matter. After the first play, who cares if you're a 1A or 1B? But you can see it was a nugget you could sprinkle, you could hold in front of our guys. There's a carrot that they were like, no, I want to be the first one out there when the ball snaps. Okay. Well, you might not play as much as the 1B. I don't care. I want to be the first one. Okay, that's fine. But I love it because it created that competition, man. It gave them that motivation to have good practices with ultimately results in good games. When did you get the inkling that Elijah Ponder was potentially as talented as he has turned out to be? Did you see it? Because he was third string behind Cortez and Cope. Yeah, and then, uh, boom, coming into coming into fall camp, all of a sudden he was the starter. Yeah, it, it's funny, man. Like I tell Elijah Ponder is the best 
story or the best example of, uh, gee, man, who cares what you look like? You know, because I remember coming in, I tell this to recruits all the time. I said, I want you guys to know this is my favorite player. And I'll show a play of Elijah Ponder versus Marshall chasing down a screen on third yep. and 12 and makes it eight yards. And I say, this is my favorite play. And I'm going to tell you why. And I said, I saw this guy and I said, he will never play for us, ever. I said, he looks like crap. I said, he's got a big upper body, no butt, little lower body, <laughs> like something that you never want on defensive line. You'll never guess this dude is who he is. But he is the example of the brand we talk about. He's the example of effort and attitude that we're looking for, the standard right there. You want to know the standard? I'm going to show you one play. And you just watch him run after the ball carrier, give everything he has. That's why Elijah Ponder is Elijah Ponder. He's not the most talented player you have. He's not. He's not the number one recruit you would ever recruit. But he plays so hard, so hard. To me, he's the great example for anybody on defense. If you play with the effort and attitude that Elijah Ponder does, you will play above your God-given ability, right? That's what I keep talking about is get guys to play above their God-given ability. Elijah Ponder is the number one example of that because of how hard he plays, you know, and he's a great example. But um, I didn't think, honestly, even until a couple games in, maybe that after that Marshall game, I said, okay, he's a dude. He's a dude. And I didn't think everybody else recognizes. Then all of a sudden, he's first team all conference, which thank God, I mean, he deserves it. Um, he played his butt off last year. Um, but I, I guess I don't know when I – probably was after that Marshall game is when I said, okay, he is a big, big factor for us. And uh, you love it. He's a great story. Great story. Isn't it funny, though, that you guys came in and, and you made a lot of judgments on guys because you have to because that's your job that that turned out in time those guys ended up being – I know Brady did not like James Wiggins at all when he first got here because James Wiggins smiled too much for Brady. You, you didn't think Ponder's body was right. Like, but all of a sudden, as you get two and three years in, you're starting to sprinkle, see a sprinkle of those guys that were left behind that, that they turned out to be pretty damn good football players. That's right. That's right. I think it's a testament. It's a testament to the culture. It's a testament to what Coach Fickle and Coach Brady does in the weight room. And, and a guy, again, you can't measure a guy's competitiveness by the way he looks, right? You can't measure James Wiggins' competitiveness by just because he smiled. He's a com fierce competitor. He is an ultimate competitor, and he just likes to smile. You know, sometimes when you make up this DNA of a competitor, he's a mean, mean face, never smiles, always business. You know, James Wiggins is a, a huge competitor, and he just happens to smile. Elijah Ponder looks like nothing. I mean, this is the best-looking person you've ever seen, you know, physically. He's a handsome guy. He's a handsome face. <laughs> physically, <laughs> physically he, he, he might not be the best-looking. He doesn't have the body of seen. Marcus Brown. It, it, exactly right. You're exactly right. But – he is an ultimate competitor. And that's, to me, what, what gets promoted in this program is that if you're a competitor, right, when your back is against the wall and you're willing to fight your way out, you're going to be the guy that continues to move up and thrive in our program. You will. And you can see it with those guys. He doesn't look like Lyndon Johnson. No, definitely not. Lyndon Johnson played – If LBJ played like Elijah Palmer or had that competitiveness in him, LBJ would be a first-round pick. And no doubt about it. No doubt. That was a beast no of a human. Shoot, yeah, he's a man, grown man. Grown <laughs> <Jack>. man. <laughs> All right, so um, I don't, I don't know if we fully graduated beyond fickle getting these questions, but now you're going to get them too. We've gone through everything. We've gone through your competitiveness, your creativity, um, your development, your, your recruiting, how you're always thinking steps ahead and all that kind of stuff. A lot of times when you talk about coaches that way, 
those are the coaches who are always looking for next job. Where am I going to be next? How am I going to move up? You don't have to say this, but you, you've had opportunities. You could have left. You could have gone a bunch of different places. Why, why are you doing all those things and you have all of those characteristics and qualities, but you felt like so far this is the best place for you to be when you, you could have easily left and gone somewhere for, for more money or, you know, a quote unquote bigger name, whatever it may be. Because everything I could want as an individual, I can get right here. And that's why. And that's why. It's the same thing you tell recruits, right? Everything, you tell me what you want, then let's try to find a way for you to get there. Well, coach, I want to get to the NFL. Okay, you can do it right here. I want to be a head coach one day. I want to be a head coach. I can do that being the defense coordinator right here in Cincinnati, right? I can do it around these people. I don't need to go somewhere else, um, a bigger name or a bigger school, so-called, and be their defense coordinator in order to be a head coach. I'm good. I can do it right here. You can win a championships and do it around people that you love, people that you enjoy going to work with every day. Um, I can do it right here in the city of Cincinnati. I love this place. My wife loves this place. My kids love this place. I love the people I work with. I love the administration. That's exactly why, you know. I don't feel like I need to go anywhere else to get to my ultimate goal. At some point, at some point, I don't need it today. I want to try to – I want to be a head coach. You know what? I want to I want to compete. I want to say, let me try to be a head coach. Let me see. I want to give my shot, you know. But I can get there being right here at Cincinnati and doing a hell of a job right here at the University of Cincinnati. And that's why I continue to stay, and that's why I continue to, to turn those opportunities down because it's not going to – get me any closer to my ultimate goal. And it's the same thing that's all approved, right? You got just as good a chance of coming here to making the college football playoffs as you got going anywhere else. Maybe, okay, you, Ohio, maybe Ohio State, maybe Alabama, maybe Clemson, right? Go, go. If, if, if you say we're going to Ohio State or Alabama, I'm going to be like, oh, man, we lost one, but okay, I get it. But don't tell me you have to go to the Big Ten in order to get to that. No, 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 no. You don't have to go to the Big Ten in order to make the college football play. You can do it right here at Cincinnati. Cut the promo. So you, just got look, you got a little bit of my recruiting <laughs> skill right there, huh? Cut the promo. <laughs> Where do I sign, Coach? Where do yeah, I sign? There we go. There we go. So we'll talk about it then. Take us through your emotions when the Michigan State saga was going on, when we're looking at feet underneath planes and – you're getting phone calls from me and Justin probably way more than you wanted to, to, to see what you knew. And then you still wouldn't tell us anything. Uh, <laughs> what's in your brain at that time? Like you're, you're, maybe you're the defensive coordinator at Michigan state. Maybe you're the head coach of Cincinnati. There has to be a bunch of uncertainty. And for a lot of the time, it sounded like thick was kind of going through his own process. Yeah. Um, he, he really, spent some time with himself on that one. You know, we talked early in it, you know, early on when he was really considering maybe, maybe not. We talked a lot about it. And, um, his wife and my wife talked a lot about it. But you, it, when it came to decision-making time, he, he cut everybody off and he kind of shut his door. And, and, and again, I'm just using this as an example, but he went home and didn't answer phone calls and he kind of said, okay, I'm going to make this decision. Make a decision. And he did. And um, he decided to say, um, again, I didn't have any decisions to make at that moment, right? I'm right. good. Hey, Vic, what are you doing? What are we doing? Can, what, I, what can I do to help? You know, is it 
you know, if he makes a decision to get, if he made the decision to go to Michigan State, then, you know, I got to figure out what's next for me. You know, Michigan State is a chance to be the head coach here. Um, but at that time, it was more so I was kind of like you guys. Like, hey, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, we all want to know, you know, because our, our livelihoods all depend on it. But um, it, it is, again, it was him shutting the door, making a decision that he felt was best. And I'm damn sure glad that he did, you know, and I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be here again with these guys, man. Um, to be here, another opportunity to win championships, man. We have a lot of unfinished business. You know, we do. With, with what happened to, to finish last the last two games of the year, obviously before Boston College, man, like, again, you have hunger. You have hunger to, to go compete. You got hunger to win them all. You got hunger to, to go out there and, and get after it. And that's why I'm so excited to be here around these people. And, and again, it gave me a chance kind of just see – you know, the different things that go into those decision-making process, right? For him, for me, for all, I mean, again, to see the things that he kind of went through would help him make his decision. Um, it's good for me to know sometimes, you know, hey, I'm in that situation. What things made you say, hey, this is what's for me? You know, I think ultimately is if it was something when he's not running out of his house and I'm like, this is a no-brainer, I got to do it. I'm good, man. I can do it right here where I'm at. And I think that's the biggest thing even as I moved forward and I had another opportunity to go somewhere, I'm like, I'm good. I'm not running anywhere. I can reach my goals right here. And that's why I did it. Did, did you see a – was there a significant impact in recruiting his decision to return? Were kids listening different now that the head coach had turned down a, a significant Big Ten job? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think everybody's looking for a reassurance, Right. Everybody's looking for, hey, it's okay to do this. You know, very few people are trendsetters. Just very few, you know. And I look back to, I've always given Malik Van crap because I said, Josh Wiley, two years ago, whatever that class was, I said, 18. he was the trendsetter. I said, he was the one that went out there first and said, you know what, I'm not going to with all these big name schools, Ohio State, whatever. I'm going to Cincinnati. Now, Malik Van will say, no, I was the first one. I just didn't announce it first. But I told Malik, I said, no, nah, I think Josh is the first one. But Josh but, committed during spring practice. Mm-hmm. Malik committed at the spring game. Josh was definitely first. There you go. There you go. Josh was definitely. So. And now Malik's going to try to tackle me for, for putting that out there. <laughs> Josh, that, that was Chad, Malik. That was Chad saying that. <laughs> I remember that scenario. Yeah. Josh committed because remember, I think all four of them came to a, a spring practice Yeah, in the yeah. morning. Yeah. And Josh announced after meeting with Fickle that afternoon, Malik did not commit until the spring game. See, Malik will try to tell you that he already had his mind made up, but he didn't want to announce <laughs> until after the spring game. So I don't know what's true, what's not. But all I'm saying is it, there's very few trendsetters, right? And so yeah. you try to sell – what Coach Fickle did to recruits, right? He had the same situation as you. I'm a recruit. Well, I have this school, uh, Michigan State. I'm not using that example, but I'm just, uh, he had this opportunity in Cincinnati. And he said, I'm going to do it at Cincinnati. You can do it too. And that's what you sell to recruits. And they're like, okay, I get it. I get it. And I don't need to go to a name. And and the reason why a lot of times you see with these young people that they, they, they choose maybe, they, they, it's a hard situation because of what everybody else thinks. What's the perception that everybody else is going to say if I go to Cincinnati over these so-called Big Ten or ACC or SEC schools that everybody else thinks I should go? But I said, here's what I tell them. Once you get to college, 
nobody gives two craps about what office you have. Nobody cares what Ahmad Gardner had. Uh, who cares? Nobody cares what Justin had. Nobody cares. I use it with Jaheim Thomas. You know, Jaheim. Nobody cares about those offers you have once you get here. Nobody. When you get here, you're going to be judged off what you do when you get here. Ahmad Gardner is going to be judged. Now everybody's going to say, hey, he's a great freshman All-American at Cincinnati. Nobody talks about what offers he had in high school. They're just saying he's a freshman All-American at Cincinnati. There's a lot of schools kicking their ass, kicking themselves in the ass for not offering. Ahmad no doubt. Gardner. Ain't no doubt about it. Right? <laughs> and we're glad as heck we got him. You know, and that's what just sort of proves, man. You determine your future. No school determines your future, man. And so you sell that with, with, with you know, Coach Fickle's another reason, another example of why it's okay. You know what I mean? If you need a pat on the back, you need somebody to tell you it's okay, here's another example, you know. So um, we definitely use it. We have used it. We, continue, we will continue to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, you good? You got anything else to close up? All good. That's All right, it. Coach. You're wrapping it up. We can go I'll all day if you want. COVID nineteen, I'm good. We, I, ain't got, I don't have a whole bunch of stuff to do. I actually got to go see. I actually, I got a meeting this I got to go meet the boss here in a little bit. So, the boss well, is Nickel. We, we appreciate. Well, they're both the boss boss. Don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah, Don't get yourself no, in no. trouble. The last sixty seconds yeah. of the show. <laughs> no, no. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be quiet. Coach, <laughs> greatly appreciate it, man. That was really insightful. And uh, there's going to be some some clips I put on Twitter that people are going to love about the recruiting stuff. I can assure you of that. Thank you for your time, and it has been an absolute blast. And get back to uh, that four one six defense you're drawing up. No doubt. No. And to the real balls. I'm going to get back to that. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Right, He's guys. Justin Thank Williams. You, man. That's Marcus Thank Freeman. You. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>